warm summer sun streams through the trees as you make your way through a crowded outdoor market. Passing by tables of fresh produce, you can't help but smell the basil or the air carrying the scent of rosemary. I pass by tables of honey, salts, fresh eggs, meats, and teas. This place is inspiring to me. This place is peaceful. Anytime I go to an open market, I think of my dad's vegetable garden, the one he had when I was growing up. I think of the way that the green onions tasted when I plucked them from the ground. I think of the way a fresh tomato really smells, how it tastes. Then, I think of Italy. I think of my travels through Tuscany, Florence, and Rome. Then, of course, of course, I think of food, Italian cooking. Now, I'm talking real Italian cooking, not that jersey loaded up with cheese, sauce, and where's the pasta for every fucking meal shit. I mean, tradition, slow, emotional cooking that is always based on what's fresh, what's in season, the subtle dance of acidity and sweetness, texture, smells, and love. I grew up in a half Irish, half Italian family, and the Irish side sort of dominated the food industry for us. <laughs> and when my dad started his adventure into his family lineage, our food palate changed for the better. Now, I talked with my dad about this on a prior episode. If you go back and listen to the episode I talked with my dad, where he digs deep into our family history and he loses himself in Italy, he actually teaches himself how to speak Italian. We go to Tuscany, we find the roots of the food that we thought was so delicious when we were growing up. Now, I pride myself on cooking outstanding Italian food, especially in a city that is practically void of it. Like, L.A. has shit Italian food, okay? I'm going to say it again. L.A. has shit Italian food. And every time I get a suggestion out here in Los Angeles to go have Italian food, I go. I'm excited. I really want it. And maybe it's just because I'm an East Coast brat, but I really want good Italian food. And I sit down and it's slathered with fucking sauce. The pasta's fucking soggy. The shit's just loaded with mozzarella. And you're like, where is the subtlety, right? Where are the flavors? Where's that fresh produce? And I know it exists out here because the weather out here in California is very similar to the weather in Tuscany. Like I can find in a driveway out here, fresh rosemary, the same way that we saw fresh rosemary plucked from a vineyard driveway and made into the most perfect pasta dish I've ever had in my life in a vineyard in Tuscany. And it was the simplest dish that I have, I have been desperately trying to recreate. Desperately trying to recreate with the simplest ingredients. I think the big reason why I can't do it is because I can't find those fresh ingredients. There's something about European ingredients. <sighs> So like I was saying, I pride myself on wanting and making really good food. And I'm constantly working on techniques. I'm leaning on these techniques that have been passed down from friends and from family. And I use them as a base. But like I said, I'm continuing to try to hunt for that better plate. Working hard on technique. And trying desperately to create a good flow in the kitchen. Now I thought I had it down. Then I found Frank Prezenzano. Now I fell in love with this guy immediately. <laughs> you gotta you gotta get the first impression in your head, okay? So you go to his Instagram page, and I'll make sure I put a link below. You click on his Instagram page, and here's this guy in thick glasses, salt and pepper beard, holding his phone way too close to his face. 
and just ranting, ranting about food, ranting about his love of food, and really addressing all of the issues that he sees that we all do consistently. And I don't mean just chefs do. I don't mean people that don't know what they're... I mean people that think they know what they're fucking doing in the kitchen, like myself. Right? And so I sat and I watched this guy's Instagram. And he taught me so much. So much. Just in his Instagram stories. Now, there are a bunch of places that you can turn to on the internet. You could pay fucking buku dollars for master classes. I literally learned through the process of making what he calls crispy eggs, like a crispy fried egg, which is fucking delicious, by the way. I learned through the process of making a simplistic egg how to manage my oven heat, how to manage my stove heat, rather. I learned how to do it on a pan that is a, not a nonstick pan and not have the egg break. And I learned how to make that egg as delicious as bacon. So when you make a crispy egg, the way that Frank teaches you how to make that egg, you don't need bacon. You don't need a side dish fat. You just have that crispy egg with its yolk, maybe a little uh, black pepper, maybe a little black sea salt. Like uh, I'm using like this uh, lava salt right now that I really love, coarse ground lava salt. And I, I, I sort of stumbled across some pink peppercorn, which I've never fucking used before. And I feel like an asshole for not using it. And so I made this dish. Now, like I said, go to Frank's Instagram. He will walk you through it. And you're going to learn something about heat. You're going to learn something about heat management. You're going to learn something about the tools that you should be respecting while you use them. Now, I know there are those of you listening that are like, Mike... This show, you advertise this show as a filmmaking show, right? Well, hey, asshole, look at the title. The title's called <laughs> In Love With The Process. And if you've been listening to the show, you know how obsessed with food and cooking I am because I think it's practically a parallel career. Being a chef is a parallel career to being a director and a film director. It's the same thing, man. You learn techniques. You learn tradition, you learn the language of food, the same way you learn the language of cinema. And so for me, when I get to play in my kitchen, it's a microchasm, get your fucking mouth to work, it's a microchasm of being on set, right? So I have, the difference is, is that the tools that I use in the kitchen don't all come with you know, family issues and problems and moods of that day. You know, it's not like dealing with gaffers and grips. I'm dealing with pans and spoons and, and spatulas. It's fascinating stuff. I really love it. And what it does is it teaches you how to manage that flow, how to get yourself into that creative space. Now, I'm sure you've heard this term before, flow right? And you've heard it a lot with sports players. You've heard it a lot with musicians, right? And it's this fabled place that you get to where you're no longer thinking about doing the specific task where muscle memory takes control. Now, this happens with any career that you've been doing it long enough, right? You can be a mechanic in a car garage and you have that flow. You know exactly where your toolbox is. You know exactly what shelf that wrench is in. You know exactly how high the lift goes. 
you know where to duck your head, you know how to move in and out of that stuff. And when you see someone who's been in their space for so long, move through it, it's fascinating to watch. It's no strange thing that I love to do when I'm not doing movies and horror films and scaring the fuck out of you. I like to be doing stuff in kitchens. I like to be filming chefs. I do a lot of knife videos. I've done a lot of stuff from Dale Strong because it's all about that flow and capturing that flow and being fascinated by that flow. It's no strange thing that food porn is so important to the entire culture right now. It's no strange thing that uh, that chefs on fucking Netflix are on billboards. Their faces are just as big on a billboard as like Ben Affleck's face is Batman, right? Because we look at chefs now and we look at these emotional creators as gods, right? They've become gods to us because they have mastered the ability to control that endorphin hit. They've mastered that ability to control a story that is being told with our taste buds and with our nose. I love it, man. It's really cool shit. And so if you like the show and you're listening to the show and you're like, I'd like to hear more cinematographers, well, every once in a while, you're going to have to put up with one of my food episodes. And I dare you to continue listening to this episode. And I dare you not to be inspired to cook. And I dare you not to find techniques that you are going to use that you learned from the kitchen on set. Guarantee it's going to happen. So, love you guys. Very excited. And if you haven't figured it out yet, welcome to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? What's new? I am dealing with my voice today, which is a little cracky. That's why you're going to listen to me drinking. As I do this, I am excited about today's episode. I'm very excited about today's episode because I get to hang out with Frank. We get to hang out on the air, meet for the first time, and I am going to selfishly ignore the rest of you, and I'm going to pick his brain for shit that I want to know. <laughs> so <clears throat> strap yourselves in and get ready to learn. And uh, like I said, I, I cannot be more impressed with how much I learned from this guy just on his fucking Instagram account. And the thing I really like about him is that he's no bullshit. I mean, he's a huge, he owns multiple restaurants in uh, New York. He's known as an amazing chef. He's known as an amazing employer in New York. Anybody that has ever worked for him and has, that has left always comes back at one point or another. Um, he's honest. You can tell that he's honest. And there's something amor about that. And he has that East Coast mentality that I love, which is I'm right in your face. I'll tell you when you're fucking up, but I love you. You know, so cannot wait to get into that with him. But I just want to say for all of you who have been sticking around and saying that you love me, thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you so much for giving feedback. And I asked for it and you guys have been doing it. I've been getting reviews. Super important. Please, while you're listening to the show right now, do me a favor. Go to Apple Podcasts. If you're listening to an Apple Podcast, I think you can also do it on Spotify. Leave a review for the show. Now, it's very simple. I know at first glance, it seems difficult, especially when you're looking at Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is click on our show and scroll down to the bottom. Scroll all the way down, and that's where the reviews start, right? And then you can leave a review there. 
And here's the importance of doing a review. Every time I get a review, it puts me higher on the algorithm. And I know for a fact that there's going to be about 800 to 1,000 people on day one listening to the show. So I expect to see at least 10% of you guys leaving reviews. So right now, please listen to me begging to you. Please go leave a review. And why is this so important? Because then we can get better guests on the show. Right? This shit costs something. And I'm not asking for money. I'm just asking you to engage. So leave a review. And those of you who uh, want to send suggestions for new episodes, want to send feedback, what did you think of last week's episode? What did you think of the Greg Frazier episode? That was a fucking get, right? Uh, you can follow me at Mike Petchy on Instagram. You can send me notes there. Or you can follow the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. We also have a link below for our Reddit forum, which Liam has been running. And I know those of you who have been like, Liam is now on the East Coast. He's still with the show, guys. He's still doing shit with us. He's still remote. He's still the man. Uh, so thank you, Liam, as always, for sticking with us. And um, here's the deal. Let's 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 cut to the fucking chase, right? Let's get right to the episode. Let's not delay it any further. So, do yourself a favor. Go grab those noise canceling headphones, and you know, make yourself something to snack on because you're gonna get hungry. And I know a lot of you out there are like, I don't have time to make anything. This is hopefully will change your perspective. Okay, get yourself a nice, fresh, ripe tomato some fresh basil you can buy it at the grocery store still planted for fuck's sake and then you can plant it yourself if you want get some fresh basil maybe some fresh buffalo mozzarella a little extra virgin olive oil cut those up you know spread a little salt on it enjoy that sit back eat that and listen to the brand new delicious episode of in love with the process Frank, thanks for being on the show, my man. My pleasure, Mike. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm pumped. I am. I have to say that I'm very excited to have you on the show. I am a newcomer to really what you do. I had a friend of mine. I, I had a friend who's a screenwriter, and he knows that I do the show. And he sent me your stuff like two months ago, two three months ago. And he's uh -huh. like, he's like, you got to see, because he knows I'm a food fucking guy, and I love doing it. <laughs> And so Why are we all, man? Come on, we're all about food. <laughs> it's the Italian in us. <laughs> uh, so I was just like, oh man, fucking A. And the, I have to say this, like, I have always, you know, I'm sure very similar to you. I I come from a, fa uh, a family of Italians. And so right. my history with cooking is sort of passed down and you see someone make it and you sort of go through the recipe and then uh, you spend time and you get good at it. You get kind of cocky and you're like, I don't know how to fucking do this. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. yeah uh, sure. And then I started watching your shit and I was just like, okay, this is good. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, challenging, it's challenging me. <laughs> I go a little more in depth. You know, that's what it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, dude. But it's, it's great. And um, I don't know how much prep you've had for the show, but I'm a director. I'm a. I'm a. Uh, I make movies. I was a photographer years, and this show started really as falling in love with the process 
of uh, making films and, and doing photography. And then it's sort of molded into the uh, anybody who sort of says goodbye to that nine to five lifestyle and sort of chases their dreams, sure. and sort of chases this sort sure. of thing. And the thing that uh, the show, whether or not my fans like it or not, they go fuck themselves. But the thing that I love to do with it is it always comes back to food for me. Because as a director, it takes me so long to finally get on set, to finally have all those elements, to do that stuff. And I feel that same sort of uh, creativity in the kitchen. And there's so many parallels between what you do and what a director does on set or whether you're a photographer um, so I, well, it, I'm a photographer too, man. I mean, I, yes. that's the whole thing. I do both as well. And you know, those are my two passions as well. So I feel you, dude. So feel you. bottom line, <laughs> that was a long winded way of saying, thanks for being on the show. <laughs> hey man, happy to be here. <laughs> so where are you, where are you at right now? Are you down in Miami right now? I am walking around Sunpath house right now. I'm walking around my pool. Actually, my, nice. I have like a, like an infinity pool, you know, like a, and I'm like walking on the edge, which is just like a little bit of water under my feet. Nice. And I'm just like walking around the pool. It's such a beautiful day. I mean, we have had some, some span of days down here. I mean, we haven't even, it's been spectacular days the past five days straight. And I'm just obsessed with the weather down here. Oh, it's so great. Because it's usually like really humid at this time of year down there, right? I, lo I, I love the heat, man. I mean, I really, <laughs> I mean, I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm the most comfortable in like 84 degrees. You know, so. yeah, the I keep my house. At, I keep my house at like eighty degrees. Oh my god, dude! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't wear clothes. You know, I'm like a, I'm like a nudist. I walk around naked everywhere. I mean, so. I've seen I've seen your videos. You're like me. You got a beard. I'm sweating right now because I had to turn my <laughs> AC off. Ah, uh, so um, let me get into it a little bit here for the listeners of the show who may not be familiar with who you are and where you come from. Sure. Um, let's talk a little bit of history. Um, so, uh, you own some of the, 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 some of the best Italian restaurants that I've been to in New York. Uh, so Thank you. owner Thank you. of Frank's little Frankie's supper is amazing. Um, Thanks. how did you get, how did you, and I've heard some stories. I heard that you started in baking first. Like, how did you get to the point? And, and I guess we can sort of like, paraphrase. well, I mean, I can give you like a really quick one, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I started as a pizzeria. When I was uh, basically 12 years old, mm -hmm. my, uh, my mom used to pick up, every Friday she'd pick up a pizza dough at this pizzeria out in Long Island. Mm -hmm. And I told her, hey, you know, ask them to give me a job. And I had just gotten back from my first trip from Italy. So they gave me a job like right after a summer trip in Italy when I was just awoken to Italian food. I mean, I was like, yeah. I mean, I had been eating Italian food all my fucking life, but not in fucking Italy, you know? So I was like, <laughs> yeah. it was, and I was 12 and, and more than appreciating it. And I was having epiphanies pretty much every day. Yeah. And so I was like, shit, this is, I think this is it for me, you know? And I was like, I got to get in some kitchens, you know? So I was already, I, you know, just to give you a little background. I already had, you know, two paper routes in my neighborhood. I had two of my friends delivering the papers for me while I was in Italy. When I came back from Italy, I took the pizzeria job and I kept that business going with my friends. I was only paying them $5 a week. So I was already <laughs> thinking about business at like, you know, you know, 12 years old, I had employees. Wow. Okay. So, so, I mean, I've, I've always been like an entrepreneur. I've always been thinking of, you know, how can I make money? How can I do this? So it just fucking really started when I got that pizzeria job because I was amazed 
what they were doing behind the stoves. I'm like, how, I was, how they serve all these people? I mean, I'd go into restaurants and I'd be like, I got to know how they do this. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Because I cook at home and I can't imagine how they're fucking doing this. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> as soon as I got in the kitchen, oh, dude, I was hooked. I was hooked yeah. on the system. I was hooked on how everything works. I was like, I was washing dishes and I swear to God, I never took my eyes off the chef once. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I was just transfixed and everything he needed, I was like there. You know what I mean? I was like right next to him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just shot up through the ranks. You know, I ended up in culinary school, did very well there. I was one of the top, you know, top kids in my class there. And I just immediately right out of culinary school, I got a pastry chef job. Well, what happened was the place I wanted to work at on Long Island, this guy, Nicola Zangi's joint, it was called actually N. Zangi. He was an Italian an Italian-American kid just like me yeah. who was doing, like, Sicilian with, like, you know, French influences and shit. And, I mean, I was, I was amazed by what he was doing. And it was a tiny little place that had, like, maybe literally, like, 40 feet, okay? Mm -hmm. Super, super high-end, super expensive. And it was in, you know, Glen Cove, which was a very fluent area back there. Really nice Italian area as well. So I was waiting for that job. While I was waiting, I had done a lot of pastry work when I was in culinary school. So... And I'm a photographer, so I shot all the pastry work that everyone did in my class, not just me. Oh. I shot it for them, and I sold them the pictures, okay? <laughs> Smart. So I had all of those negatives, so I saw this job for an assistant pastry chef, and I was like, I could put a portfolio together right now with some of the sickest fucking pastry work <laughs> that I didn't do, but I know how to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I so I walked into the Garden City Hotel, one of the best pastry kitchens probably in all of New York. And I, and I convinced this girl, Wendy, to fucking hire me as a pastry chef with her. <laughs> she hired me on the spot. I worked for six months doing all shit pretty much I had never done before. Right. Wedding cake, pulled sugar, royal icing. I mean, I, come, I mean, dude, I went so deep into pastry there. I was like, why not? I learned it all in six months. And then, and then I got the call from Zangi to come in and work for him. Wow. So I left. I said, thanks. They were really pissed when I left. Because <laughs> I, I, had literally, I had literally come on, absorbed everything, you know what I mean? Learned everything and then just walked out the door. Yeah. You know? But right, right, right. I really could not pass on this job with this guy. I mean, you know, he worked with his Sicilian father who was on the line with him. Dropping knowledge in fucking Sicilian dialect. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I got to be there. I got to see what these guys are doing. You know what I'm saying? It was, I've always been like that, man. I just fucking see it and I just go after it. I don't give a shit. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, if I want it, I put my sights on it and I'm going to fucking get it. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. I had a lot of confidence and, you know, I had gotten out of culinary school. I mean, I feel like I knew a decent amount. But, dude, they completely bitch slapped me there. I mean, like, it was like, you know. <laughs> I mean, it took me a whole week to get up to speed. It had never taken me that long. You know, I was like, wow. I mean, it was so much work. It was running and running and running until service. It was like, you know, we'd get in there, like, you know, literally, like, 9 o'clock in the morning, you know, just to get ready by, you know, 6 p.m. Yeah, it's you crazy. Know, it was, I mean, you know, we... <laughs> To get ready by six to go to, you know, to do service. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, you know, it was like a 12 hour day, you know, yeah. at least, you know, we'd sit down for like, you know, for literally half an hour just to fucking, you know, throw something down on next and then continue to keep going. And he rolled me through that whole kitchen, dude. I became the chef de cuisine there. Wow. I ran the kitchen for him. I was 20, dude. No, no, I was 21. 
Wow. And I was running this place. The best place basically in Long Island. Then I got a job as a sous chef at a French at a French place. It was supposed to be a French place, but it was run by Italians because they offered me a lot of money. Okay. And I, I wanted to make some money. You know, I was like, I was making like $300 a week working on this you know, other place. I mean, you know, when you're an apprentice, you don't make shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. But so this guy's going to pay me like 900 a week to be a sous chef. And I was like, and it was less work. Less work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I was like, all right, cool. I went that way. And then I ended up opening up a place called Panama Hatties in Long Island, which became like the best restaurant in Long Island. And then I did the unthinkable and I said, you know what? I'm not a Long Island chef. I never saw myself as a Long Island chef. I need to get into Manhattan. So I quit everything. I sold my car. I got rid of my apartment, moved into Manhattan, and started working as a line cook for uh, David Burke. Wow. And I had a really good time with David. I learned a lot. I worked there for about six months also. I basically did the same thing. I needed to see if I was as good as all these guys were. Because I was a chef on Long Island. I could, I could have got my own restaurant open with anyone I wanted there, but I just didn't want to be there. You right. know what I'm saying? And I'm looking at the city and I'm saying, I'm just as good as these guys. I want to get in here and I want to play around with this. I want to see what I can do for myself in New York. I mean, I wouldn't have been happy unless I did that. You yeah, know what I mean? So yeah, I was like, you know what? I don't give a shit how much money I'm making right now. And I was making a shitload of money at that time. And, and I, I, I literally took like an 80% pay cut to literally prove to myself that I was as good as everyone. And I mean, that didn't take me long to figure out. You know, within a year, I was like... <laughs> and as soon as I figured that out, I, I went to the front of the house, Michael, and I started having the most fun I've ever had in my life. Really? I started working as a bartender. I started working as a waiter. Okay? I lied to get my first job the place I was working at down in Miami Beach, a famous place called, called Amano, which was uh, Norman Van Aken's place, mm-hmm. one of the places I worked in, literally closed overnight because he had, a, he had some kind of an argument with the owner of the hotel. And, and the owner of the hotel was his partner and also owned the hotel, so threw him out overnight. So the, the place completely closed overnight. So I went out and I lied and I said I was a captain at this place. Okay. There was no one there to even answer the phone. So I didn't have to worry about references or anything like that. And I got hired on the spot at one of the hottest, trendiest places, this place called Bang on Miami Beach. This is back in 1993, basically. Uh-huh. And dude, I worked in one of the, one of the hottest, I mean, it was like a nightclub restaurant. It was like one of the first places that, they were one of the first, you know, groups to really fucking nail that. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they didn't even get busy until 9.30, you know, 10 o'clock, and everyone stayed to party afterwards. <laughs> so they would get everybody for dinner and then get them for drinks, too. The concept was amazing. I'm like, holy shit, that's like a double whammy. Yeah. I mean, you get a whole dinner service and then a whole bar table service. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, cash, yeah. cash, cash. Lots dude, I had cash, and I was making a fortune, dude. I was like, I was like making eight, $900 in tips. I was fucking nice. I was like, that was the, twice my salary at the, at the last job, you know, like three yeah. times my salary. Yeah, yeah, crazy. And, like, and I had been locked in kitchens my whole life, Mike. My, my whole life, you know what I mean? Like in the back, you know what I'm saying? I never worked in an open kitchen until I built my own. You know what I'm saying? I never even saw an open kitchen. Right, Everything right. was always behind closed doors. I hated it. I hated being inside. I wanted to see what the fuck was going on, you know? Well, yeah, because at that point you want to be able to interact with the with the food that you're putting out there. You want to see what the vibe yeah. is. You want to see what's being set. Smart, dude. 
It makes sense that you want yeah. to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, and I was I was pretty sure I wanted to eventually open a restaurant. So I was like, what what better way to get ready? I got to be able to do every job. Yeah, no, smart dude. It, very similar to the way I've done my career as far as like coming up in the in the in the uh, film industry and like you know trying to do every job position possible and trying to interact with the the people that watch this stuff and understand these things. Mm-hmm. There's a huge parallel here, man, between. Uh, you know, creating experiences for folks. You know what I mean? Creating experiences yeah, for people that yeah. either eat the food stories. or part. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Telling, telling stories. stories, man. I'm telling stories all day. Yeah. No, dude, I, I see it. I, I see your Instagram. <laughs> 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 uh, so, all right, cool. So uh, that, that I think that's a good way to set it up. I don't want to get too deep in like the, the history history. Well, you know, and, you know, then I just opened the restaurants. I mean, you know, they just happened. I mean, I was walking around the West Village, and I came across, I came across a space. I couldn't believe it. It said, restaurant for rent, fully mm-hmm. equipped, no key money. Wow. Okay. Wow. And I was like, what? I, it was a little corner place on uh, Perry Street and uh, Perry and Washington over in the West Village, mm-hmm. right on the corner. The place has changed, changed hands at least six or seven times, you know, since I almost got it. But I went up against this guy, Bill Gottlieb, who was a big real estate guy back then. And he scheduled three people to sign the lease on the same day. And he gave it to someone in front of me. It was so ridiculous. I couldn't believe it. I was negotiating for two months with him. And I didn't even know I was number two on the list. Oh my God. (laughs) But that's how he did things. I had no idea, but that got the fire under me. And then I found the space for Frank in the East Village, which was only 23 feet when we opened up. And then right before the planes hit the building, I signed the leases on both Little Frankie's and Supper and was delayed a little bit, but ended up, you know, getting them both open. And that's my story. Then I went on to open up, a, I don't know, about at least another three restaurants I opened, uh, four more restaurants I opened. And then I closed and, you know, sold everything else except besides my first original three. And I just came back to them and I've been, I've been just concentrating on them now. So. That's great, dude. That's cool. It's a, that's it. That's the whole story. Well, dude, it's a. I mean, I know we we sort of uh, did the cliff notes on it, but it's it's insane. Yeah. It's insane to hear how you started and how you got to that point, and then uh, you know more than anything. And I, the reason why I'm excited to have you on the show more than anything is I love your passion for food. I love your passion Thanks, for Thank you. like a bit of science, a lot of passion, a lot of history, a lot of technique. Um, so for for you, where did food start? Was it was it, fa- it it's a family based thing, right? Is that where? Yeah, you man, it started. It started, you know, at the side of my, uh, you know, grandparents, you know, at the side of my father. You know, my father would cook, and my grandparents cooked. Everyone in my family cooked, but especially my grandmothers were just huge influences because you know they would do these, you know, we do these crazy Italian feasts, Mike. You know the story. Mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. every, you know, every, you know, every. Every holiday was like, we, you know, we couldn't wait for the holidays. You know, we could not wait until the holidays came. I mean, and we always went to my grandmother's house in Corona. And, you know, she had, you know, you know, my grand, my grandpa, my grandfather came from Italy and, you know, he, he became a landlord. He owned like 23 buildings all over Queens. Wow. So, and they were so thrifty that they were living in the basement of one of those buildings. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is like, you know, I used, I used to fucking laugh. They were li- literally living in the basement and they're like millionaires. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, this is. <laughs> but that's the old way, right? That's the old, yeah, the old way. And, the and old you know, way. mismatched fucking China in the house, you know, like 
my grandmother was a kleptomaniac. She would steal silverware everywhere she went. So, like, <laughs> like the entire house was full of all mismatched fucking silverware, you know? And this is how I learned to cook, you know? This, is, this was the environment. It was like, you know, I felt like a peasant. I felt like a peasant kid is what I felt like at her side, you know? I was picking up, you know, eels out of the fucking water live when I was, like, five years old. Like, you know, four years old. Frankie, pass me an eel, you know? I mean, like, I'd be like, you know, this, you know, this was how I grew up. You know? yeah. So it's like, you know, frying fish. You know, yeah. you know, Frito, you know, we used to be frying fish. She was always fucking frying fish. You know, the whole house always smelled of fried fish. It was like, <laughs> it was like we were always eating fish, you know, it was like whole fish. I've been eating whole fish with, with fucking bones since I'm almost a baby. Like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, yeah. I see people that are afraid to eat whole fish and I'm laughing. You know, I was eating it before I even knew how to eat it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, you, dude, you and I are very similar to that. There's stories that I'll hear where, where my dad would pull me up to the stove in a high chair and be feeding yeah. me like right out of the pan. Try the sauce, try the sauce. You know, like, yeah, because they're excited about what they're making, Mike. That's what yes. it is. You know? it's that, yes. I mean, come on. That's where this comes from. That's where my passion comes from. It comes from them. Yeah. You know, it comes from them. You know, they would, you know, they were so excited about eating that how could you not be? Right. You know, how could you not be? All right. You know what time it is. It's time to give love, to give thanks to the men and women that help support the show. And before you fucking fast forward, do me a favor and listen through this stuff because I'll give you some, you know what? I'm going to give you some wisdom. You guys want some filmmaking wisdom? Then we'll throw some wisdom in here, but I'm going to throw it in the ad reads. <laughs> Okay, so first up, our good friends over at Puget Systems, my buddies, my buddy Eric over at Puget Systems. Uh, for those of you who are in the market right now for a brand new computer, let's say you're a filmmaker, you're an editor, you're a photographer, maybe you're just a lazy gamer. <laughs> what did Joe, what was Joe Rogan getting shit for recently? Saying that that uh, gaming, I don't know, I'm going to misquote him, but saying that gaming is a waste of time, I don't think so. But, you know, I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid of it. If I got into gaming and I'm really close to maybe buying that uh, Cyberpunk one, fuck, that one looks really cool. But if I get into that, guess what? You guys don't get two episodes a week. <laughs> anyway, so if you're looking for a new computer, head on over to Puget Systems and I suggest you get a PC. And I know saying that is like, fuck, that's like, that's like uh, bringing, you know, the devil back from fucking hell, right? That's antichrist shit. PC, PCs crash, PCs blue screen of death. What are you in the fucking 90s, man? This is not, this is current. PCs don't crash. PCs are stable. PCs are better to buy because... It's an open marketplace. It's not one manufacturer that builds the hardware that is controlling it, controlling who they work with, and then jacking the prices on everything. So essentially you're paying two times the amount of money for an unboxing experience. You're paying for their advertising. You're paying for the cult to survive. With PCs, you don't have that. You can actually go into a free marketplace, find a bunch of different options, find affordable options, and build yourself a custom machine that works exactly the way you want it to. That is so important, right? Now, I know a lot of you are out there like, I don't know how to build a computer. I don't blame you. It's a thing. It's a process. You have to learn about motherboards. You have to learn about hard drives. You have to learn about RAM and what works with what. I was in the same position you were. I needed a new computer about five, six years ago. 
and I couldn't find a place to build me a PC. So I did the fucking legwork, man. I went and I looked for a company and I found Puget Systems. I found them first. That's how they became a sponsor of the show. Um, and these guys will build you a custom PC built for your needs. So you can go to their website, choose a baseline model based upon the software you use. They'll suggest a model for you. And then you can customize it with them. And I love this. They love talking to their people. They love supporting artists. So reach out to them and say, hey, here's how much money I have. Here's what I to buy. This is the type of computer I need. And they will walk you in the right direction. And they'll help you build something incredibly specific for your needs. And we're talking about, like right now, my brand new machine that I have from these guys. When I run out 4K out of Premiere with multiple fucking timelines or multiple sequences. I'm, I'm sorry, multiple video tracks, you moron. With multiple video tracks and color correct on those video tracks plus fucking uh, filters and tracking, it runs out more than two times as fast as the running time. I think the other day I was like four times as fast as the running time. That's insane. It's insane. I love it. I love my Puget Systems. I love my Puget Systems computers. I got two of them right now. Do yourself a favor, join the club. And if you're not from the US, right? And you're like, fuck, Puget doesn't ship internationally. They also have a consultation program. You can go there. I think it starts at 500 bucks. Don't quote me on that. I think it's around there. But basically, they will walk you through all of their benchmark tests, all of their stuff. They will help you build your own machine. So if you're just someone that wants to build a machine and wants to start off on the right foot, go to PugetSystems.com and check them out. Also, back to sponsor us again, our good friends over at Quasar Science. One of the best advancements in filmmaking over the past 10 years has been lighting. LED lighting has changed the face of everything that we've seen on TV and in the film movies. In the film movies. <laughs> a fucking idiot. Um, but it's the coolest stuff in the world. And lighting to me is just like cooking great food. I get the same visceral response from creating great lighting, from walking in great lighting, as I do to sitting down and putting a delicious meal in my mouth. I love lighting, right? And a lot of you guys are like, okay, hey, what do you have in your kit? Okay, so my kit's constantly changing, but right now I got a bunch of different things in there. And I am not just a one brand man, okay? So I have some tungsten units in there. I have some bare bulb units in there. I have uh, some like one by one panels in there, but I have a lot of stuff from I, from Quasar in there. So I've got their bicolor LEDs, which are really great. I think I've got the small ones. I think they're like one foot, two foot, something like that. And uh, they're magnetic backs on them. They're super lightweight to do anyway, so you can hide them anywhere. You can put them anywhere. They're battery powered, which is fucking cool as shit. Uh, don't hit the mic stand, dum-dum. And I've also got their... Um, rainbow our leds as well so i could dial in any color of the rainbow um and get beautiful beautiful light beautiful soft light i use them as fills i use them as edges um i've talked on prior episodes uh if you guys have seen the dale strong knife piece that i recently did with cruda uh he was in town we did all the slow motion stuff in my backyard by the way uh, we tented out the back shed and shot all that stuff um, with uh, our chef out there. And then I did all those inserts 
of the blades with the light moving across the blades. I did them in my living room with a DSLR and one quasar light that I was slowly moving over the surface of these things, trying to find the shape that I liked. And that's what I really like about these quasar tubes is that you can walk them around. It's really interesting. Have you ever done that? Have you ever actually taken a light unit around your actor that you're going to be dealing with all day and just move it? Just see where the great angles are. See how deep their eyes are set back into their skull. And that will really sort of affect the height and the distance that you're putting their key light, right? Or putting that beauty light on the woman that you're shooting, right? And usually for that, it's up in front. It's a little bit higher than the head. You got the back sort of tapered off so it's not hitting the wall behind them and it's just affecting them beautiful stuff and you can do that with quasar tubes and thing that's really cool about the quasar tubes is depending upon how you shape those tubes you'll get that eye light so if you're doing some sort of real cool sci-fi stuff which we've seen you can actually do like a triangle key so when you do a close-up of their eyes you have like this really strange sort of cybernetic triangle reflected in their eyes pretty cool shit Anyway, that's me ranting about that. Go to QuasarScience.com. Check out their new products. They will send you to places where you can purchase it. But love those guys. Click the link below. Check them out. Um, I've had the owner of that place on a prior episode. You can check that out. And they also do really funny Muppet-style puppet shows that are on their website. So go to QuasarScience.com and check them out. Also up, I want to give a big thanks to our buddies over at Industry Jump. They have been promoting the hell out of the show. So if you go to industryjump.com, it's a great place to meet other filmmakers, to form your network, your connections, to find work. Um, Industry Jump also has a really great uh, Instagram account. So check it out at Industry Jump. Um, they're a good resource. So if you're trying to find... Uh, I don't know if they're actually helping you find work these days, but I know that they're definitely helping you build your community. So build your community of crew people, build your community of other filmmakers, get your work seen. I know they showcase a lot of filmmakers. Um, so it's a good place to just sort of start talking to people and to be involved. And if you're not getting what you get it from me, which is a whole lot of fucking F-bombs <laughs> and me throwing shit at you, if you want more of a community-based thing, I would go check out those dudes at industry jump all right um so that's it i think that's it for our reads this week uh as always please go to inlovewiththeprocess.com now i know there's a bunch of new listeners that are frank fans that are coming over and they're like hey we like your show this episode's been fascinating we're not really interested in filmmaking but i love rock and roll and i love chefs well, to find those specific episodes, you can go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There I've curated the episodes based upon subject material. So all the chef episodes are up there. Um, all of our rock and roll, all of our musician episodes are up there, which are really great. And I would say go check out some of the filmmaking stuff because we don't get nerdy on the show only about filmmaking, right? So when you listen to an episode with me and a cinematographer, I'm not like, okay, so what ISO was that shot in Batman when he climbed up the side? No, no, it isn't that. It's more about how do you how do you stay alive in a job where you don't have that money coming in every week, right? How do you come up with these ideas regularly? How do you keep your brain 
fresh to come up with a treatment, come up with some new creative ideas on the fly. And I will say this, whether or not you work in the film industry, you're gonna find inspiration from these people. Anybody that I have on this show, I find inspiring to begin with. Most of the time, these are people that I want in my life, that I want around me. Um, so I think you're gonna love the show. So don't be fooled. This isn't some bullshit fucking techie show. This isn't a YouTube channel. I'm like, how to use Premiere filters. No, fuck that. There's plenty of that stuff out there. This is a show about how to be happier in life, how to find inspiration, and about a dude that says fuck a lot. <laughs> All right, anyway, let's get back into it with Frank. Love it or hate it. And that's the thing about Italian cooking, whether I've seen Italian cooking in America or been over in Italy, it really is about that experience and that love for the food and that respect for the food. Yeah, and the camaraderie, you know. Yeah. It's, it's the mutual appreciation of food is what drives all of Italy. I yeah. Mean, I mean, that's the, that's the fuel, that's the gasoline for the whole country. And how amazing is that? Oh, and every time I go there, I tap into it like I'm sticking the fucking plug in the wall. You know what I'm saying? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> no totally dude i complete it's it's what makes me happy it's the same thing on my end where yeah. like there's so much stress and there's so much shit involved with everything that we do and sometimes i just yeah. need to have people over and i'm like just sit here i'm gonna cook for you just yeah. sit here Be a yeah part of sit here thing. and i'm gonna cook for you man exactly i mean that's what i mean that's probably my biggest message for, you know, what I'm doing on Instagram is exactly that, man. It's that I want to give everybody something that they can sit somebody down and blow their fucking mind. You know what I mean? Like yeah. something simple that I know I can teach them to do and they'll put it in front of their friend and their friend will like, be like, how the fuck did you learn how to do that? <laughs> that like, you know, like you've never made a, you've never cooked anything in your life. I know you haven't. You know what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. You know what I'm saying? I want it to be like an epiphany. You know what I mean? Like the, you literally have an epiphany when you learn something that you didn't think you'd ever be able to do, you know? Well, dude, and you do it well because, <clears throat> so I caught on right when you were in the middle of doing the, the crispy fried egg thing that you did, which I- which oh, I've you, been doing it for so long and it still feels new to people. It's unbelievable. Dude, it's, it's mind blowing. And for me, like, so I saw you do it, right? And so immediately what you're doing is a lot of different things that I was trained to do. So I'm like, okay, so this is fascinating. This is something new. And so I'm deep into it. And then I went through the process of doing it the way that you've instructed it to be done. And I was like, fuck, not only does this taste really great, but I've learned, I loved your lessons about heat management and stove heat management. Well, that's what this does is that that's why I want everyone to begin with the crispy egg because it teaches you your own stove and your own pan. Yeah. Okay. Right away, you start to pay attention to heat. And that's the most important part of cooking is you have to orchestrate heat at all times. The better you can orchestrate it, the better the product will be. And a lot of times it is a cadence. You learn the cadence of how much heat to start with, how much to end up with, how much to have in the middle. And the crispy egg has all that complexity right wrapped in one method. And it really surprises you because people don't believe that you can make an egg without a nonstick pan. I mean, people don't believe it's impossible. It's like, what did we used to do before nonstick? I mean, I mean, come on. No, it's crazy, dude. And it's 
the thing that's really great about it is that there's a little bit of science involved, but it's a lot of feeling. It's a lot of like paying yeah. attention, it, which yeah. I think a lot of folks are allergic to right now because there's a hundred different reasons to be distracted by any moment. You have to be yes. attentive. You have to be yes. within that within that moment, and it makes yeah. it fucking taste better when you're in that. Yes, moment. yes, you're those those efforts translate right on the plate, and there's so much nuance to a crispy egg too if you really nail the cadence you can get that yolk absolutely perfect like sauce on top mm. and custard underneath and then you can i mean the best way you know to eat the egg i mean i show everybody in the video is to is to is to take the yolk break it and spread it over the entire the entire top of the egg make it the sauce for all those crispy whites and then just eat it like a steak yeah. And it is fucking perfection. It is literally that crispy white lathered in fucking yolk. And then you have that little custard hole of that middle yolk and the, and, and the little cake that's on the bottom of that yolk, too. There's just so much going on. There's so much complexity for one item. And yet it is the most simple item. It's a fucking egg. Dude. So, I mean, it, it really becomes profound. And, you know, and, it, you know, there's. So much happening at the same time. You're realizing how simple life can be and how beautiful it can be. And there's all kinds of metaphors, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like a fable to me, honestly. You know, it's like a fable. Well, I mean, there's no, it's no surprise that, that, that this shit is catching fire for you right now because people are having this moment to actually yeah, slow down need, and have this moment. They need to, something else to concentrate on, yes, right? I mean, that's yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, it's great. It's phenomenal. Not only does it taste good, but it's visually appealing. Like everything about that process with that egg. And those of you listening, like I said, we'll put the links below the episode. Go do it. it try it out for yourself. Even if you yeah, have you know, just begin before. there. I mean, that's that's all I ask. You know, I said just try to make the egg. Okay. And if if you don't have a moment with it, but you know, but at the same time you got people that are, you know, pulling out the wrong pans to make it with. You know. <laughs> if you know, if you make it nonstick, you completely miss the point. You know what I'm saying? And, I mean, you know, it, I mean, I mean, you know, saying you're supposed to be learning something here, and it won't come out the same. You see, that's the amazing part. Also, it's because the egg sticks first badly, yeah, before it forms the crust and then releases off the pan perfectly at the end, because the crust itself is what allows it to release. Yeah, because you made a crust, and the crust can't stick to the pan. Yeah. So you can just scrape it right off and you don't even need a lot of oil to do it, which is, you know, the other amazing thing. I've seen a million people make this egg, but they make it literally in a puddle of oil. <laughs> that's, you know, that's how, you know, Asians do it, you know, for fried rice. You know, they do it in the wok yeah, and right. they do it like, you know, I mean, it's literally almost floating in oil. I mean, anyone could do that. You right. know what I'm saying? I mean, lowering the oil content, you know, down, you're still getting the same crispiness, okay? I mean, it's a poetic process. When you really, I mean, I get probably, when I first put the, the crispy egg up on Instagram, I was getting about four or 500 pictures of crispy eggs a day. Jesus. The grade. Okay, I was grading them for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I was spending like two hours a day grading fucking crispy eggs. It was pretty funny. For, for about four or five days. Now I'm down to about 15, 20 a day that I'm still getting for, you know, for grading. <laughs> Okay. And the enthusiasm in the people making these things, dude, I have all these enthusiastic students and it feels so amazing, Mike. I mean, it's just like, I mean, they they have totally given in 
to trusting me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and they have no fucking idea who I am. Dude. No idea. I've invaded their home, literally. Okay? They are cooking nonstop for their, for their families. They're sending me videos of their kids in ecstasy eating the food that I taught them to do. It's you great, dude. The power of the fucking internet, it's, man. It's, it's crazy. unbelievable. <laughs> it's crazy. It's unbelievable. And it, I mean, and it's so Italian for me because I feel like I have all these Italian kids. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm just showing them just the same way I learned, Mike, which is the which is the Italian way. Look, watch me make it. How else are you gonna learn? Watch me make it. It's, you know, nothing's written down. Just watch me make it. Okay, now you make it. You know right. what I'm saying? That's it. Right. I mean, have some faith in yourself. You know, you can do it. You know, it's not that hard. I Dude, I love it. That's why instantaneously I connected, like instantaneously, because I feel it's the same way. And that sort of apprenticeship and that sort of use your hands and use your senses and be a part of this. And if you, yeah. if you fuck it up, just go again. It, like big, yeah, big, big difference. What's the big deal? What's the big Every deal? time I make a mistake, I fucking learn something so valuable. Sometimes I come up with... with a completely new idea because I fucked something up. It happens all the time. All the time, dude. dude. My my mistakes are golden. I can't wait for them to come. I mean, I don't I don't understand people that are afraid of mistakes. I welcome them, and I think that that's very freeing also for people. If you, what I'm teaching here is not just how to cook; it's also how to live. Yeah, you know? it's how to live. You know, it's how to have quality of life. How to live like Italians live, worrying about what's important, which is what are we going to eat. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> totally dude that's dude that's my family literally we will we'll hang out and go what are we eating tomorrow what are we eating the next day yeah. like that's the conversation and we'll change our minds tomorrow too you know what i'm saying so i mean we shouldn't even be talking about it really i mean <laughs> <laughs> all right all right so let's let's get into it because i know yeah. there's, there's a lot of listeners of the show that are afraid of the kitchen and they're afraid of. Oh uh, yeah, believe me, I know, dude. Uh, afraid of of spending the time in the kitchen. Afraid of failing in the kitchen. They're afraid of fire. They're afraid of all these different elements. Afraid of fire. Yes, that's the other thing. You know, this teaches you is that's a lot of. I mean, when you put that egg into, you know, into that hot oil, it's fucking going crazy. It's jumping around. It's popping. You know what I mean? It also teaches you not to be afraid. You know, yeah, nothing's gonna happen. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Well, anyway, so sorry. no, it's all good, man. So the, if um, let's talk about because you've mentioned some of this in some of your posts, which I really like. Let's talk about from your opinion, right? If you're putting together a kitchen, now let's just talk about tools. What do you think yeah. are the most essential, the most important tools that everybody should have in the kitchen? Okay, on every single line in my kitchen, okay. The tools that we have now are, you know, Baymarie by the stove, okay? Mm -hmm. Every single kitchen always is a small rubber spatula. Okay. A flat-bottomed wooden spoon. Okay. A male spoon. Mm -hmm. A female spoon. A slotted spoon. A fish spatula. That's it. That's all you need to do everything in the kitchen. Wow. Okay, cool. That's it. That's, I mean, if you have a specialty item, you know, you might need a specialty tool. Like, you know, you want to open up oysters, you know, you need an oyster knife. But I'm saying in order to be by the stove and be able to do whatever you need to do in all the pans, that's basically all you need. So. And, I, and, oh, and yeah. a pair of tongs, of course. Uh, right, right, right. And see, okay, so I love this because then we live in such a consumer-based culture 
where it's like, buy all these knickknacks, buy all this bullshit that you never fucking use in a kitchen. And it always kind of drives me, because my girlfriend does that all the time. She'll buy all these stupid yeah. little things. And I'm like, what the fuck does this do? <laughs> clutter. Clutter is what it does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's- No clutter in the kitchen. No clutter. You can't have clutter. It'll fuck you up. If it, Nothing should be out that you don't need to be out. Everything that should be around your soul should have literally have a specific purpose. And it should be connected to something you're regularly making. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it shouldn't be there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I went through this in, you know, Kitchen 101 and Kitchen 102 in my highlights in detail. Also, also explaining how to set your kitchen up to flow. So your listeners should definitely take a look at that because that is literally way more in-depth than we could ever do here. Oh, for but, sure. For sure. Yeah. Definitely yeah. go check that stuff out. But you yeah. mentioned... So you mentioned flow and flow is such a fascinating thing because flow, whatever career it is that you're doing, whether you're, I mentioned this in the intro, whether you're a car mechanic or whether you're uh, a musician or a sports player or a chef or a director or photographer, it's that muscle memory. It's that ability to move through your space without realizing that you're moving through the space. Um, And I love your focus on flow in the kitchen and, and what do you think creates the best flow for you in your kitchen? Spatial intelligence is what creates the best flow. You know, literally looking at your space, memorizing it in your mind, and keeping everything always in the exact same place. Always. Okay? Mm-hmm. You, start to, you start to completely memorize your own setup to the point where you're, you have a drive for like, 10 to 15 miles and just completely forget that you were driving. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, this, it's, you know, the same concept of your thinking and your body, your mind and your body are completely separated because your body knows the, the motions to grab the oil, knows the motions to grab the wine, knows where the rubber spatula is, knows where the wooden spoon is. So as you're fucking working, you know you need the wooden spoon, but you're not thinking where it is. Your body's already going to grab it. Mm-hmm. So, so because it's always in the same spot, okay. So your mind is free to create completely in flavors now, because you freed yourself from the physical movement to get into flow with the with the flavors, ingredients, the food that's in the oven. I'm literally thinking about the heat penetrating everything that is working on my stove. I'm literally putting it into those terms in my mind. Like, how long has that been in? Right. No timers. I just when it's long enough, I say to myself, it's got to be almost there. I go down nine times out of 10, I'm right on the mark because I keep doing the same thing over and over again. I keep feeling steaks. I keep feeling roasts. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You're constantly looking. You're constantly feeling. You're constantly smelling. You're smelling what's going on in your oven. I mean, I can tell when shit's ready in the oven just by the smell nine times out of 10. That's nine crazy. times out of 10. That's you know what I mean? I mean, seriously. So you're using all five senses and you're in like, an, you know, kind of an autopilot as far as where everything in, where everything is and where all the motions are. And you're completely in fantasy land up in, you know, your own brain literally com- in the moment combining flavors, almost like this spirits. I mean, that's how I feel when I cook because I've been doing it so long, because mm-hmm. of the repetition of it, because I'm constantly doing the same method over and over again, but adjusting it. You know, and that's why I'm always taking the message down. You know, I just freaked everybody out because, I mean, I went up about 70,000 followers in literally <laughs> from the beginning, from the beginning of the quarantine, which was 
March to June, I went up 70,000 followers. I was posting every single, every, every single day. I was posting, and I was completely in a flow state the entire time. It was completely magical to me. I mean, I was just, I mean, I was rolling through stuff. I was making shit that I hadn't made in 20 years for the first time on camera and nailing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know That's so, awesome. I mean, who does that? You know what I'm saying? So, and I was just fearless with it, you know, and I was having so much fun. And I can feel how I was entertaining so many people mm-hmm. because I was getting you know, so much, you know, feedback. And it's what saved me, Mike, you know. Right, because of the, because the beginning of that quarantine. That's yeah. what saved me. And what saved me saved a lot of other people, too, because they they just got caught up in what I was doing and forgot about everything else that was going on. Dude, it's great, you know man. It's great. It's great. And, it's, and that's real flow, too. You forget about what's going on. And that's what, when you have flow in your life on a daily basis, you're, it's therapeutic for you. You yeah. feel better yeah. because you zone out. You zone out and you do something that you're very good at. Yeah. And you do it well, you know what I'm saying? And it's just everything to me. I mean, I mean, I can't live without it. And I can't imagine anyone else not having that in their life. At least with one or two dishes, I can teach you to flow on those dishes. Yeah. I can teach you what to do. I can teach you the steps because I've taught all of my guys in my kitchen. That's how I've taught my cooks, all my chefs and all my cooks. That's how I've taught them to cook for me. Mm-hmm. So I got plenty of practice at it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean... And I had plenty of time, you know, to fine tune that teaching. Yeah. So that's what people are getting. They're getting the benefit of, of my 30 something years in the kitchen, showing all my people how to make my food. <laughs> well, and it also becomes like, it becomes really infectious. It doesn't surprise me that all these people are like grade my shit and look at what I'm doing because then you, you get over that initial fear and then you have yeah. that instant gratification yeah. or not even instant, oh, but that, that gratification yeah. from it. And then it's like, well, what the fuck else can I do? And, and so yes, that's it. Yeah. it becomes an addiction for them. Yeah. Dude, that's what I really love to see. I mean, when, when I see somebody, I can tell when that's happening too, you know, just from DMs, I'm like, this, this guy's getting it. He's going to be a monster. You know, he's going to, you know, he's going to consume everything. You know, he's going to consume everything I tell him, basically. That's what's going to happen. You know? Well, it's so, a lot of fun. Dude, I love it, man. And, and so to continue on this conversation of like, I just want to, I want to, I want to wet everybody's palate that's listening to the show um, on, on how great this can be and how just some simple steps, some simple things yeah. and having yeah. certain ingredients and certain tools at your disposal can really sort of take the stress off of it and really put you yes. in the right place to get started. You know what I mean? Yes. And so, yeah, because you can, exactly because you can start cooking and, and you don't have to leave the stove because everything you need is right there. And that's the best way to cook. If you constantly have to be walking around your whole kitchen, you know, to, you know, to create something, that's, the, that's not going to be enjoyable for you. You know what I mean? Right. You want it to be in a concise area where you can just be very comfortable and, you know, literally pivot from foot to foot. You know what I mean? Like, just like, I like to call it, you know, you know, swaying. I sway in the kitchen. I'm always on the balls of my feet and I'm always rocking back and forth. And I'm always rocking towards this area, rocking towards that area. I'm, not, I'm actually in my kitchen doing it right now. Nice. Rocking, nice. rocking back and forth, nice. rocking, rocking. I'm just pivoting and I don't have to even take a step. All I'm doing is going from foot to foot and I'm able to get to everything in the kitchen. That's how your kitchen should feel. That's how you're going to flow. 
You, well, yeah, you, and, and like you I can't I, take you know five steps you know to grab something. That's way too far away. You know? Well, I, I, because I was I was teaching my girlfriend how to cook certain dishes, and I would say to her because she would just sort of jump in nervously and start to try to do everything at the same time. I'm like, look, if you prep, if you prep all your yeah. stuff, and you have all your stuff set in bowls, yeah. and you're good to go. <laughs> Then it's like being prepared when you go on stage as an actor. At that point, you're sitting there going, yeah. I have all my tools here. So yeah. now let's get in front of the spotlights. And now yeah. let's turn on this, let's turn on this stovetop and let's just make this thing. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. I mean, that's what prep's all about. I mean, I prep all day, you know, to get myself, you know, ready to make, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day because I cook everything for my kids pretty much. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes they skip, you know, breakfast, but you know, I'm I'm always prepared to make meals on the spot. And, you know, how do you do that? Well, you know, you have certain things, you know, ready in the refrigerator for them. You know, you know what they're eating. You know what they like. You know, you keep those things around. You know, you keep some of them prepped in the refrigerator. I mean, if you have somebody, you know, that likes to eat something, you know, three times a week, have everything for it. Have everything ready. You know, get up in the morning and, then, you know, chop whatever you need and just, you know, keep it ready just in case they want it, you know. That's how I operate. I'm always ready, you know, to make stuff. Well, you know, when my kids get up, I'll be like, I can make you this, this, and this, you know? <laughs> I mean, I literally, you know, give them a menu and they say, oh, okay, I'll, I'll have that. And I'm like, great, I have that ready. Cool. Here we go. You know? Well, dude, that's the best. I, my dad used to do that too, where it's like, I got this and I got this. And it, it, you felt so, yeah. A, special because you have someone doing that for you. But then, B, yeah. you, you felt connected to the food, which yep. I really liked. Uh, and that's something else that you talked about recently, which I just saw in one of your recent videos. You had this great line, which I love, which is design the bite, is what you said. Yes. <laughs> I fucking love it. Well, that. I mean, everything's about design the bite. I mean, that's the whole thing. That's where the magic of you know eating really comes in, is you you put three different items on your plate that you know work well together, mm -hmm. okay? And you sit there and you play them all off each other. You know, you start off with just a couple pieces of kale, mostly chicken, and a little bit of, you know, candied yam. Then you have all candied yam, some of the gravy, and maybe just a little kale. You know what I mean? You keep alternating, and, you know, you keep trying them together in, you know, different combinations, okay? And that is endlessly, endlessly entertaining. Yes. Yeah, endlessly entertaining. And, and it's also instructive, because your palate now is literally learning at high speeds of what these things are like together. What's it like to have something very sweet in your mouth and then throw a whole handful of kale in your mouth, you know what I'm saying? Which is really fucking bitter. <laughs> and you find out how magical that is. You're like, holy shit, bittersweet is something really special. Mm -hmm. You know, so many people have not really, I mean, there's so much palate immaturity out there because everyone is getting bombarded by so much processed food, which is loaded with, you know, spice and salt and, you know, Vinegar, you know what I'm saying? It's like everything is so bombastic that everyone is not really that capable of of discerning the subtleties in food, the yeah. underlying flavors. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. everything has, every time I taste something, I taste something else in it. You know what I mean? When I eat a piece of, you know, arugula, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'm getting pepper, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, pepper. You know, like black, like sometimes black pepper. You know what I'm saying? There's so many things in it that then you say to yourself, that's the accompaniment. What you pick up in the raw vegetable on its own before you even cook it, what you pick up underlying in it is what you combine it with. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because you're going to pull that out of the vegetable. You're going to make people notice it more because you put a little black pepper on it. Because now you're going to say, wow, the arugula itself is, is also peppery. That's <laughs> magical together. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what I'm teaching. I'm teaching, take it all the way back. Take everything off your food. Restrain yourself. You know what I'm saying? Go backwards. Take even the salt off, which is another important conversation. I have an IGTV post just on salt. That's probably the biggest epiphany, you know, that I've shown people is salting tomato sauce is a disaster. You don't want it. Salting <laughs> tomatoes, period, makes no fucking sense. You don't put fine salt on a piece of fruit. Okay? It soaks into the fruit and robs the fruit of its sweetness. If you want to salt it, you put coarse salt on it yeah. so it doesn't dissolve. So you, you get the tomato without the salt and the tomato with the salt. Instead of just the tomatoes dumbed down by salt. You see, every step that there's so many people out there that have just been told to salt everything, like automatically, even salting sauces at the beginning before they even reduce them, and then wondering why they taste like shit at the end because all you can taste is the salt. Yeah. Salt cures things, it takes away flavor as much as it enhances it sometimes. Okay? It can do both, you know? depending on the situation. So learning how to use it properly was really, really something I felt that I had to teach a lot of people. Because first of all, people are, chefs are out there promoting kosher salt, which makes me, which makes me sick to my fucking stomach. I mean, that's chemical salt. No one should be eating chemical salt. Sea salt is an abundant, incredible, incredibly diverse and gorgeous and beautiful source. I mean, it's the only salt you ever need. And it's not that much more expensive if you really consider how much you're actually using, you know? Fascinating. I changed all the, about 10 years ago, I changed all the restaurants over from, you know, kosher salt, you know, to sea salt. It's one of the best things I ever did. Huh. I know everyone that, everyone that comes in is way healthier because of it. And we can use more salt and not feel that bad about it because it is sea salt, because it's not chemical salt. Because chemical salt especially is really dumbs down to I mean, it's really can be real. I mean, when something is oversalted with, you know, chemical salt, it's disgusting. You can't even eat it. Yeah, totally. Totally. Oversalt something, you know, with sea salt is totally edible. You're like, yeah, it's a little too salty, but, you know, it's not offensive salty. You know what I mean? Offensive salty only really comes from sea salt. And, you know, also sugar, like sugar and salt are both preservatives as well. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but that's the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating because I because I recently was just sort of I think it was because of you I was going through and I was recently examining all the different salts that I have and now I have like different lava salts that I really like and there were all oh, sorts of different the lava salts are great man they're awesome oh, I man. love all the black salts the black salts are awesome yeah so they're so good man and I just started Cypress black you got to try dude Cypress 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 okay. black right. salt is flake black salt dude it's like flake. You want to pave your fucking floors with it. It looks amazing. <laughs> you put it on a plate and you just admire it. It's just... <laughs> and it, oh, I'm try right. this. Take some of it and dissolve it in water, okay? Mm -hmm. And you'll have this black water, okay? And just drizzle that water on top of greens and just a little bit of olive oil. And that's it. You're going to lose your fucking mind. Dude, <laughs> I'm in. I'm, in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally in. Simple things that really, it really, uh, easy gotcha, Pepe. Simple <laughs> things 
are really impressive when you tell people what to look for. Because people don't know what they're supposed to be looking for when they're tasting things. You know what I'm saying? That's the other thing that I do very well is I give you a roadmap for that. Yeah. I'm like, okay, now this is happening when you first put it in the mouth. And then this happens. And this is what should happen. And that should happen. So I'm not only showing you how to, how to make the dish. I'm showing you how to eat it while you're making it, which oh. is the most important thing. Because while you're making it, you should be thinking about how you're going to be eating it. Right. What's the design of, what's the, design of the bike going to be? You know what I'm saying? What are the textures going to be? Which is the other thing that no one thinks about. Textures on the plate. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've been in high-end fucking restaurants, and there's no, there's no complexity in texture in anything I'm eating in the restaurant. Dude. And I'm like, I don't get how this place is getting fucking stars when they're not even managing textures. You know what I'm saying? It's, it blows my mind that there are so many chefs out there that are inept with textures, with combining textures, and textures are so simple. And so profound on the plate, especially for design the bite. Yeah. You want to have multiple textures in your mouth at the same time or at all times. You know what I'm saying? To- dude, totally. I think the thing, the food that changed texture for me, honestly, was Vietnamese food and actually having like different types of yeah, pho. Sure. And I was like, why, sure. is there, why is there tripe in here? And why are all these different elements in here? And it, it, I realized that's how it. important texture was for that dish. Oh, soups. I mean, that's one of the things, you know. <laughs> I'm teaching everybody how to make, you know, Italian brodo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the winter, I'm also showing everybody how to turn a, how to turn a brodo into a masterpiece just, with, just by managing all the textures of the vegetables you, that, that you cook in it. Okay? <laughs> I take my brodo and I literally cook vegetables in it to, to perfect, perfect doneness, okay, and cook pasta right in the broth and make these beautiful pasta soups of vegetables that are so fucking healthy for you. So easy to make and totally magically magical with textures. I mean, you got peas in there. You can put any vegetable in there and cook them all to different, you know, textures, you know, different doneness. Yeah. And it's yeah. like it's so much control and it's so easy to do. And it's a one pot meal, one pot meal. And it's like, and it's so healthy. These are the things I'm trying to give people is that, a, that ability to wow even themselves with the simplest things that they have in the refrigerator. Dude, it's it's awesome. I love, dude. Just to talk, I'm getting hungry just talking about this shit. <laughs> so I absolutely love it. Um, well, let's pivot a little bit and let's let, let's give my taste buds a little bit of a break here, or my my need to eat a little bit of a break. Um, so you're a big fan of music too. I love the the music that you oh, yeah, post and stuff like that. And then you started like Thanks. like a little local radio show or radio station as well. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> You got to look up EVR. It wasn't just a little local, you know, radio station. <laughs> at the risk of at the risk we of were, insulting, <laughs> we were an inter, we were an international local radio station, dude. I mean, we had. I mean, we basically ran. And you remember how FM radio used to be before you know Clear Channel took over all the radio stations? Yep. I mean, when DJs used to actually curate music, when they used yep. to actually play with whatever they wanted, and you would never hear the same song again and again and again on every single station on the radio. You know what I'm saying? It would never happen. Yeah, yeah. You know? Okay, well, that's why we started East Village Radio. I mean, I was doing so well with, you know, the restaurants, and I was about to open up Little Frankie's, and I had always envisioned Little Frankie's as like this, you know, rock and roll pizzeria. Mm-hmm. We used to crank punk music. I mean, I opened up an East Village, you know, and East Village pizzeria, and, you know, I gave it a soundtrack. I gave it a punk soundtrack. I mean... When you came in Little Frankie's, and, it's, and, we, and we still do it to this day, we don't lower the music, 
We play it loud, we play it hard, and that's what we do. You know, we always have. We keep a tempo in the restaurant of like eat and get the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? We're busy. You know, we need everybody to enjoy everything, you know what I'm saying, and keep the pace up. Yeah. Especially for the people that are working in this thing. When the music is I mean, that's all about flow too. How do you keep your restaurant flowing quick? You play fast music when it's busy. That's how you keep it moving. That's how you keep everything moving. Everyone hears the music. Everyone realizes that there's, you know, there's a hundred people waiting to eat. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, a, it's a perfect machine like that because everybody's on board with it and everyone's flowing right through it and everyone sees what a machine the place is. Yeah. So that's also very important. So I was like, I want a radio station there. So when I expanded it, right before I, I expanded it, we opened up a pirate radio station right above Little Frankie's in my office. Okay. I had so many musicians already working for me as waiters and bartenders. I mean, I'm in these Phillips. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. So, I mean, literally within a week, I had about 100 requests to show. Okay. <laughs> within a couple of months, I had a full schedule of five two-hour shows every day. Wow. Wow, dude. Out of my office, the back of my office. Okay. And we were broadcasting it on 88, 88.1. Okay, a hundred watt signal, which was reaching Williamsburg. Wow! Okay. Wow! 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 The New York, a friend of mine who happened to be a contributor for the New York Times, okay, who was a regular at at Little Frankie's, calls me up and says, "Dude, what are you doing with this radio station?" And I'm like, "What? What radio station?" You know, I'm like, you know, and he's like, "Come on, Frank, I already know about it." And I'm like, dude, you can't write anything about this. You'll close me. I mean, like, I'm in a legal station. What are you doing? You know, like, don't. Please don't write anything. That Sunday, cover of the Metro section, the Sunday New York Times, when people still were getting the Sunday New York Times. You know what I'm saying? Little pirate station opens above pizzeria. Oh, my God, okay. dude. You must the have lost same your shit. Week, the same week, I get a cease and desist from the FCC. <laughs> $10,000 fine, imprisonment, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I call a fucking attorney, and he's like, you are out of your fucking mind, first of all, the guy said. He's like, what the hell do you think you're doing? You'll end up in federal prison. He's like, he's like, he's like I was like, dude, I didn't, even, I didn't think they would ever catch me. I'm like, he's like, hey, come on, you're a popular guy. Of course they're going to catch you. I'm like, okay. He goes, look, I'll contact them right away. You're going to cease and desist right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. I was like, I was like, okay, okay. And <laughs> I, so I, but right as I was closing it down, I was opening up the, the extension for Little Frank. Okay. And I was planning on putting the station right in the front, right in the street. I'm not sure if, if you saw that, but you know, East Village Radio is right in front of Little Frank. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's a studio there. Okay. So I said, Fuck it, let's move it down to the street, and we go, we go internet only, okay? Yeah. We do podcasts with the shows, okay? And, you know, we see what happens. I mean, you know, worst case scenario, it makes the pizzeria look super cool. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do I lose? Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know we, we completely turn it over to the neighborhood. You know, we started bringing... Restaurants into, you know, to do advertising on, you know, we didn't charge them anything. We used it as like a promotional tool for, you know, for everyone, yeah. you know, for DJs, you know, for artists, you know, for up and coming. That's exactly what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be like a gallery where, you know, I could promote artists in. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah That's yeah. what I was looking for. I was looking to really give something back and really, you know, create a platform for, you know, creativity in my space, which is, you know, which, which is absolutely going you know, to, I mean, it's going to give me a good vibe, dude. You of know course, what I'm saying? And course. that's what you want. That's yeah. what you want. And, you know, and that exa- is exactly what it did. I mean, we always had musicians hanging out at Little Frankie's everywhere. I mean, forget about it. When I think of all the, all the bands that we've had, I'm not going to start dropping names, but we have had so much, so much luck with, you know, that entire music movement. Everything that was happening in the East Village back then and in Brooklyn was so connected to us that it was such an amazing experience. Dude. But I had to close it down because... They kept passing laws that made it more and more expensive for little stations to run, and all this, and they kept passing laws to make it way easier and cheaper for the big companies to run. Of course, all you know, the streaming companies. Of course, so no one was watching out for us. No one's lobbying for us. They, they were literally, you know, trying to get rid of us. Yeah. You know, so I was like, I mean, I was, we had about three million listeners a month. Jesus, dude. Okay? Three million a month we had, you know, which was pretty fucking amazing, and, and yeah. it was costing me too much. It, I was I was bleeding money with with the station for you know for over ten years, and I was just like, I can't do it anymore. You yeah. know, I mean, you know, it was just everything keeps going up. I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. There's no legislation even proposed, you know, you know, to help us. You know, it it was one of the saddest things I ever had to do. Yeah. I mean, and you know, when I closed it down. Everyone came to see us. Everyone. The New York Times, Forbes, Wired. I mean, if you search, you know, Frank Prisanzano, East Village Radio, you'll see all the articles that was written. And I wanted to make a statement also that this is bullshit, that we should be able to operate. We shouldn't be charged so much money. We're not making any money on this stuff. No one's making money here. If we're making money, then charge us for it. We're promoting. My DJs were crate diggers, dude. Great diggers. They're playing shit that no one even fucking remembers. No one even, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, no, there's no one to pay that royalty to, literally. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sound Exchange was collecting money for everyone, even the people that they didn't have any contact with. So they were charging us for fucking music that was never going to get to the artist. Like, all the time. Most of the shit we were playing was never going to get back to the artist. Dude. And we're promoting something that no one's ever heard. I mean, we were doing a service, dude. A curate. It was a. I mean, literally, East Village Radio was a curated music service. That's what it really, what it really was. Commercial free, okay. Always fucking live. It was amazing. Protect the stream was our fucking mantra. Protect the stream. <laughs> well, dude, it makes look. You're battling against that fucking beast. That beast that ended yeah, exactly. up killing. I mean, you know, we're up against the man. I mean, if yeah. I tell you, Mike, if I didn't have the restaurant, if I didn't have all that to lose, mm-hmm. okay, I would have won pirate with it without paying the royalty. Right. You know what I mean? I would have went up against the system, you know? I would have took a pinch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, no, dude. I, but, you I would have done it, you know, to make a statement because it's bullshit. It is, dude. And, and, and that business has essentially killed itself for being such a fucking asshole yeah. about how it does all that shit. Um, but yeah, you know, the lack of creativity is fucking disgusting. Oh, dude, it's ridiculous. And you miss, like you crave, uh, I like even now with, the, with Spotify and fucking algorithms. And I've talked about this on the show hundred yeah. times and how it drives me crazy. Like I crave that human interaction of someone just going, Hey, check, yeah. check this out. Check this thing. That's out. what we had. And we had it in spades and we literally all of our, 
I would say 80% of our listenership was all artists and musicians, man. It was like, we were just like, I mean, it was, it was beautiful. Believe me. And it was like, when I had to close it down, we cried. All of us. Yeah. We cried. I sat, I'm going to start crying now, man. I sat down with all the DJs and I had to close it. It was fucking hurt. Oh, it's brutal, dude. It's It's It was brutal, man. It was brutal. It was a, it was such a big thing for us. And it was, it was so beautiful. And it's, it's another classic example of that fucking capitalist fucking asshole that just comes in there and just tears shit apart. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you're like, you, yeah. you missed the point. And it makes sense that you are so into that because it's sharing. It's the same. Yeah. Dude, yeah. When, when I was younger, I went to school for radio and, and I thought I was going to be a radio DJ. And I remember talking to the program manager at the local station that I work with. And, he, and I've said this on the show a hundred times. He was like, Every half hour you play stickers with the green, you play CDs with the green sticker. And every bottom of the hour you play stickers with the red thing. And I'm like, why am I here? Why am I here if I'm not introducing somebody into an emotion that I feel that I like? Yeah. That's the the purpose of telling stories. That's the purpose of making meals. That's the purpose of, of, of showing you this really great moment I had with my grandmother when I was a kid and was circling around this plate of food. And if I can give you an ounce, uh, like a fraction yeah. of what I felt at that moment, that I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm passing it on, like I'm, I'm empowering yep. that moment. Yep. Well, I mean, this is my legacy, Mike. I mean, you know, that's what this is right now. I mean, like, I mean, I want to, I want to imprint people with food, man. I want to imprint them, you know, to the point where they'll never forget. You know what I'm saying? You know, they'll never forget what I've done for them. You know, I mean. I want to have that kind of, you know, positive impact on the world where, you know, like I get people, you know, to do things that they would never have done before and their health improves and their family life improves and their quality of life improves so quickly with just good food that they didn't have before. There's so many people and, you know, I'm showing you how to make cheap as shit things, Mike. I'm not showing you how to, you know, like I'm not, you know, you know what I'm saying? I'm showing you how to utilize what's left over in your refrigerator, you know, when I show people, you know, the garlic and oil method, which I'm sure, you know, you you grew up with as well. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, you, you can always crank out a garlic and oil at any time, okay, at any time and clean out all the vegetables in your fridge and feel so healthy afterwards, you know. Yeah. And it's such a powerful, you know, method, you know, to have you know, in your arsenal. And, you know, if you're not feeling so well today, I always make a garlic and oil and I feel better right away. I mean, I almost never get sick, man. I mean, I mean, we never got sick when I was growing up. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was rare that, you know, we were sick. People are sick all the time and yeah. fat, you know what I'm saying? And, and well, bogged I, down by what they're eating, you yeah. know? Well, I mean, there's a misconception too. I think there's a big misconception with it. Because right now, look, I, I recently did the move from Boston where I grew up to Los Angeles. And Los Angeles, Italian food out here sucks. <laughs> like straight. I've heard, I've like, heard. Like people, be, people beg me to come. It's terrible. It's terrible out here. And so I think the big misconception with a lot of folks with Italian food is the the, the shit that you would also get at, at like a pizza spot where it's just like, you know, uh, like really shitty spaghetti, tons of fucking sauce. <laughs> You know, like how much Parmesan can I put on this thing to make it taste like anything? And I think that's... Yeah, and, and, you know, it's not even Parmesan cheese, you know. (laughs) You know, they're buying it in, you know, know, pre-graded, you know, cases, and it's God knows what's in. Right, right, right. And I remember when 
I made my first trip to Italy with my dad and we ended up and my family, we went to Tuscany and having yeah. the meats in Tuscany and, ju and just yeah. having your mind Keanu open. Beef. Dude, the beef is yeah. like, fuck, dude. Like amazing. Yeah, Kiana beef, black pig. I mean, I mean, it's, I thought, I mean, it's a whole different, you see, people have to understand that Italy is a perfect food system. You know what I'm saying? Because the farmers are also big eaters and cooks. They cook at home. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So everyone is on board with the same idea and the same philosophy of how everything should be. And, and even the people that are growing the food know what it's going to be used for in their region. Right. So right from the minute they're growing it, they're thinking of the end result already. We're not even in that ballpark. No one is. <laughs> no country is in even that ballpark of lucidity with food and agriculture and wine and cheese and just regional perfection. That's what people don't get. It's like people go to Italy and they're like, you know, the Italian food is better here. And I'm always laughing. I'm like, <laughs> what did you what did you order? Where did you go? Right. <laughs> I ordered pesto. I mean, I, you know, I was having it in, you know, Naples, you know, and I'm like, dude, pesto's from Liguria. Okay. <laughs> They don't really make pesto in Naples. If they're making pesto in Naples, the chef either better be from Liguria, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because otherwise they probably wouldn't even make it because no one expects to see pesto on a menu in fucking Naples. Yeah. It's not, you know what I'm saying? That's the mistake people make. They go to Italy expecting everywhere has lasagna, everywhere has pesto, you know, and everything has truffle oil on it, you know, which is the other thing, you know. Truffle oil, which is not even made from truffle, it's made in a perfume factory from the combination of asparagus and petroleum scents, and this is not a lie, this is the actual truth. Really? They don't even they don't even use real truffles to make it, and no one uses truffle oil in fucking Italy for anything. Okay? <laughs> but yet now Italian food is is here is defined by truffle oil. That's ridiculous. It, 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 it makes me sick. It <laughs> makes me sick. So you don't even go to Italy trying to experience the perfection. You didn't even give it a chance. And you're coming back and saying, oh, my food, you know, the food gets better. You got to jump it. That's why I say to people like, I'm going to go to Florence, Venice, and I'm going to go to fucking uh, Milan. Or I'm going to go to Florence, Venice, and Naples. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, all in like four or five days. I'm like, you're not going to experience Italy. You're not going to get anything out of this trip. Yeah. I go, if, if, if you only have one week Okay, I would spend it in one fucking city or one region with a car driving around that region and learn the regional food. Yep. Okay, yep. that's where the poetry is. And that's where you're going to meet the most amazing people because you're going to go into regional mom and pop restaurants. Okay, and you're going to eat the local fare, the, the food that they grew up on, that they grew up growing in their backyard. Okay, that, that, that has history that goes back hundreds hundreds of years that's italian food that's the real italian experience and when i travel italy that's what i post on instagram i literally i'll hit a region hard and i'll post every day eating all the regional food and i'm investigating mm -hmm. and that's what i tell people too i'm like you investigate too you go to these regional restaurants and ask the people working there about the regional food once you do that you open up the conversation with them they're so excited that you're interested, that you give a shit, 
you're American. How do you even know this crap? How do you even know our food? You know what I'm saying? Next thing you know, they're sitting next to you and you're drinking wine together and they're telling you their whole fucking story. They're yeah. telling you the whole, the, the whole backstory of every dish, of how, they, of how it began, of how their grandmother made it, of how their great-grandmother made it. Dude, if that's not the best fucking theater you ever experienced, I don't know what it is. That's my life when I'm there. Dude, that's all I do. That's amazing. I keep visiting all the same people sitting with them and they keep showing me more cool shit. But that's what you, that's what you want out of human interaction, especially yeah. at a time period where we're not getting much of it. I mean, I'd, right. I'd much rather be sitting across the table with you right now and doing this than having to do this <laughs> over the phone. Uh, like, because that exchange is so much fucking fun. And, yeah. oh. and, and like the one thing that I love to do with anything, whether I'm, I'm starting a new movie and I'm meeting crew and cast that I've never I've met before, I always say to them, come over, I'm going to cook you a meal. Come over and we're yeah. going to eat oh, together. Yeah. Because you, That's the way to do it. dude, universally, and you know this, universally, food is the language that everybody speaks. Like yeah. mortal enemies will eat yeah. food together because you're fucking hungry, and it yeah. you, you need that yeah. experience. And so, why not use that time in which we have everybody's undivided attention? As soon as you start making those smells come out of that kitchen, and you're drawing people in, why not use that time to talk? And why not use that time to tell stories? Why not use that yeah. time to convey emotion? Yeah, and there's, there's no better way to break the ice than before you even begin to negotiate about something. You know, let's say, you know, you're having a meal because, you know, you want to work with someone. Or, mm -hmm. You know, you want to have some, you know, you want to do, you know, some project together. You eat and you talk about food and wine and you don't even touch, you don't even discuss what you have to talk about until the end of the meal. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes that conversation so much better and so much easier is that you had that humanity together first. You broke bread together first with each other. You both accepted that we're all human and food is such a big part of our lives and such an enjoyable thing. And then after you break bread like that, then you say, you know what? Now we can go into business. Now we can start talking about business and maybe we can be partners now. Sure. Because I see that you appreciate life. Because I see that you're human like me. You know what I'm saying? I need to see that from people. You know, before I'm going to get involved with them. Yeah. I got to have a meal with someone before. I, I mean, I'm not going to get in bed with someone unless I really know that, you know, that they're passionate about food and that they're passionate about life. How am I going to, how, how am I going to mesh with them otherwise? Right. How I mean, are they that's gonna, very important to me. Yeah, no, it totally makes all the sense. Of the and you know, I think a lot of that, that Italian way of life that has been sort of soiled by the gangster movies and by Sopranos. And it's sort of, <laughs> it sort of kind of became a joke for a little while. And the gobbledygook yeah, you know, and all yeah. that kind of shit. I used shit. to hate that joke, by the way. I used to hate <laughs> I hate the Sopranos. I hated Jersey Shore. Oh, you dude, know, yeah. I don't yeah. like the way it makes us look, you know what I'm saying? But I understand. We're funny. My accent is funny. How I talk is funny. You know, I mean, I get it. You know what I'm saying? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm capitalizing on it myself. You know what I'm saying? I mean, sure, sure, I mean, sure. But I mean, you know, when I'm on Instagram, I'm letting my Queens accent, you know, come through because that's part of the theater of being from New York. You know what I'm saying? It's, yes. it's, it's yeah. all part of the story. It's all part of where I'm from. It's all part of my authenticity as well. Yeah. No, dude, I, I love it, man. I think, I think that's why I was drawn and that's why I was excited to have this conversation with you today. Um, just because I like how upfront and on point you are and unforgiving. And I, I, I think it's fantastic. Vulnerable, dude. dude. I'm so vulnerable. Believe me. <laughs>
I'm vulnerable and I'm sensitive, you know? Like, so, you know, sometimes I'm like, why am I getting so sensitive about this? You know what I'm saying? It's because I fucking love it. You know, it's like, you know, it's just, you know, I mean, sometimes I'm a little too sensitive. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I just let it happen, man. I mean, you see, it's like I've become fearless, Michael. And it's like, and it feels so good to be fearless. And, you know, to be, you know, to be able to share at this level without fear mm-hmm. has been, you know, the joy of my life, really. I mean, you know. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're finding the ultimate flow at that point, dude. It sounds yeah, like well, that's basically, you know, what it is, is that, I mean, I set my life up so I can just get up in the morning and do what I love all day. And, you know, that's what I do. You know, it's, you know, I'm very happy and very, very grateful. Well, dude. All right. So we've hit this point where we've been talking for quite some time. It's been, fucking, yeah. it's been fantastic. I am, dude, it, 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 at any point when we get out of quarantine, I have to hang out. We have to hang out at some point. Yeah. Just yeah. Yeah. Space. You know, come by, you know, we'll have a meal up in New York. I'll be back in New York, you know, full swing in September, you know, promoting. Dude. I mean, I'm going to be behind a whole bunch of, you know, campaigns, you know, to help, you know, New York get everybody back. I mean, you know, a lot of people left, you know, because of the pandemic and, uh, you know, we need to bring people back. I mean, well, and that's so, you know, a- we've been through this before in New York, you know, I'm not worried at, not yeah. worried at all, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited, you know, to be, you know, hopefully, you know, a leader in the resurgence of New York, you know, because I mean, I went through, you know, nine 11 and, you know, there was a resurgence there as well. I mean, I opened up, you know, two restaurants right after the plane hit the building, you know, little Frankie's and supper. Mm-hmm. And luckily it all worked out. Yeah, but you know, it could have went the other way. So I've, I've already been in this situation before. So, yeah. And I was even more dangerous because I hadn't even built the place yet, you know? So right now I just got, you know, is, you know, we're making do with the outside, Mike, but I mean, I don't think we're going to get the inside this winter. I have a feeling it's not going to happen and that's going to be tough for us. You know, we're going to have to go back to, you know, to delivery and pickup. Oh, dude, which is so, which, which sucks too, and you know, like as soon as they figure out whatever this fucking vaccine is going to be, then that'll change the that'll change everything. But well, I I heard a little bit of good news. I'm not sure if you heard it. I was reading it yesterday in uh, the New York Times. They think that Brooklyn and Queens might be at eighty percent herd you herd immunity already. Really? Okay. Yeah, be- because we got hit so hard some really encouraging numbers that there won't be there. There won't be a second wave in New York be, because we were ground zero for so long. And so many of us were exposed wow. and, you know, didn't even know it. And many of us had it and didn't even know it. And, and yeah, I mean, I was, those are some really encouraging numbers. And I was like, because, and they say that some other areas that also got hit hard, like London also might be at 76 you know, 70, 80% herd immunity at this point as, as well. So they also won't relapse. So that's good news too. You know, as goes London, you know, and New York, you know, well, so dude, fingers crossed, you know, for you, fingers crossed for you guys. I yeah. mean, I live in Los Angeles, which is home of the asshole. So everybody out here is just, <laughs> just completely home of the bad tattoo. <laughs> so I can say. Uh, but uh, no, dude, my, my fingers are crossed for you. And uh, I have, like I know that once you can open back up, we're all hungry, and I don't just mean Thank that. You, man. Thank but, you, man. Thank you. But we're all hungry for experience, really, man. Yeah, that's what's really what's really been encouraging is all the loyalty that was created over the pandemic. You know, with me showing everyone everything, 
Yeah. It's like everyone is locked and loaded that as soon as we're back to business that they, you know, they're going to come in and, you know, you know, show us, you know, some love. I mean, that's not why I was, why I was doing it, but it's awesome, you know, to have that, you know, in the bank, you know, all that, you know, loyalty. And, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I may be one of the only, you know, restaurants, excuse me, the restaurateurs that is literally, I answer every single DM, Mike, every single DM. <laughs> don't tell, I mean, don't tell if, everybody that. <laughs> no, I mean, if, if, if I don't, if I don't answer you, I saw it and that's an answer in itself. You know what I'm saying? Right, so, right, 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 right. Cause I, I don't have a response for you or that's a, you know, that's a silly question. You know what I'm saying? I don't have time for that. You know what I'm saying? But I, I mean, I literally see everything. So every single complaint, Everything that comes through, I mean, I'm so accessible to all my clients. I solve problems in real time while they're in restaurants on Instagram by DM, okay, mm. all the time. You know what I mean? That's the kind of attention that I put into this. So, I mean, we've created so much loyalty with that as well, mm-hmm. whereas we're always watching, we're always correcting. If, if there's a mistake, we're always going to make good on it, you know what I'm saying? So that trust is really what hopefully is going to is going to make us, you know, be able to survive. And I'm proud of that, you know, because it's not just me, it's everyone that works for me. That is, it's my philosophy just trickling down into everyone that works for me, being nice to people, taking care of people, realizing that we're serving people. You know what I'm saying? It's like so many people get into the business for the wrong reasons, Mike. I mean, it's like you got to love people to get into this business. Yeah, That's totally. the hospitality industry. You should not get involved if you don't want to, you know, really want to genuinely take care of people. And that means all people, not just people that you like. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I mean, it's very, it's very hard, you know, to do that because, yes, some people take advantage of that because they think some people walk into your restaurant adversarial right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And you need to disarm them because they look at you as you're trying to get over on them. You know, we're not trying to get over on anyone. God, if any of my waiters ever tried to upsell something, I'd probably, you know, flip my wrist. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> everyone, everyone knows not to fucking do that. You know what I'm saying? Because that's just weird. You know, yeah. I want this wine. Whoa, sir, why don't you try this one? You know, this one's a little better. You know, and it's like, you know, 40 bucks more. You know, yeah. I, that's disgusting to me. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, who would do that? You know, like, I mean, just fucking give me what I asked you for. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, so there's, I don't like how people should. So some people come in expecting that mm-hmm. and we don't give them that. And then they get confused. Like, you know, they can't be this nice, you know? Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I mean, it's like that goes on in my places. And then people have like, all of a sudden they realize they are this nice. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Really? You know, and then they start trusting us with their birthdays and their anniversaries. And that's how we, you know, 22 years now, that's how we've slowly, you know, built this incredible clientele. And it's, and, and I mean, we're so happy with our, we love serving our guests because they've been coming for years and years and years. We have so many regulars. And my waiters have long relationships with my guests that are completely separate from me that I don't even know what's going on, that they're like literally <laughs> best friends. You know what I'm, I mean, seriously, it's, it's unbelievable. And I mean, I, I love that family atmosphere. You know what I mean? It's like, you yeah, know, totally. I encourage it. I encourage it. Well, dude, I encourage it. I do. Yeah, go ahead. It, it makes sense. It makes sense <laughs> understanding where you come from and how you do this stuff. And I think, uh, if anything, this show sort of given us like a real insight into. But look, 
I understand your Instagram account 100% more at this point, which is really great. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I'm at that point. So I got to start wrapping this thing up. But Yeah, of course. We're at that point. I can tell. I mean, I can talk forever. No, uh, Dude, you and I can go on and on and on. And I'd love to. I'd love to. And over, we'll do it over some wine, over, man, when we yeah, get back in the city. Fuck yes. And so... Uh. In the, in the meantime, this is the part of the show where I ask the guests to give some advice to our listeners. And I think it's really powerful. A, you should just go to your Instagram account. And I know we're just advertising the fuck out of it because a lot of what we're well, talking about is visual oriented. Yeah. And so you need to see this to see. Yeah, how it's and it, it really is a service to people. That's what I'm doing. You know, it's a pure service for people. Sure. So you know, there's a lot of value there. And that's why I want people, you know, to watch because I want to reach as many people with these things that I'm showing. And, it, and it's really simple to get, you know, to get involved with it, you know. So it's, and I really think at this point with what's going on, with all the craziness that we're dealing with, with the news and the pandemic and everything else, that all of our mental health is compromised. Yes, you know? totally. All of it, totally. you know, collectively. I mean, I'm feeling it, you know, and it's like cooking from for me is really therapy at this point. It really is. It's what's keeping me going. It's, it's, you know, it's what's making me get through it. And I know that that can also help a lot of other people. And that's why I really want to push it. No other reason. I don't have any, you know, monetary connection with any of this. I just want to reach as many people as possible. I don't want to blow up really fast. So, you know, either Mike, because I am still able to answer it. Of course. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so I don't want to have a million followers overnight. You know what I'm saying? That's not what I want. I want real followers like I have who are engaged. Those are the kind of people, you know, that I want that are really getting value out of it. And, and I think there's a lot of value there to have. I did. It's great. And so I, I think my last question to you would be similar to what we talked about for the tools of the kitchen. What would you have for tools? If, if, uh, someone just starting, right. Someone getting into it, you know, for seasonings or for oils, like, what do you suggest? What does everybody need to have? That is a good starting point to, for all recipes, basically. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, you know, what I always have, which is whole white pepper, whole black pepper, whole cayenne pepper. You know, I usually buy, you know, dried peppers and I keep them in a bag and, you know, as I need it, I make my own crushed red pepper basically. Mm -hmm. So, which I, which I really like, you know, for garlic and oils, you know, a little pepperoncino, you know, in garlic and oil, fresh pepperoncino is magic. You know, thinking about all these ingredients whole and really in really good shape and super fresh, all the simple stuff has to be the best you can find because mm -hmm. when you're creating simple food, that's really all you're putting sometimes is, you know, a, a little bit of coarse salt, a little bit of pepperoncino, olive oils. I have usually eight or nine finishing olive oils, extra virgin olive oils, you know, the, you know, expensive cups, you know, stuff that comes in like small bottles. You know, I just buy everything I see and I just try them all, you know, and I say, okay, that one's a little spicy. That one's a little fruity. I have a thing with on my Instagram, it's in my IGTV. It's called, no brands, and I go over how to pick olive oils and all that kind of stuff. So, if they must see that, but you know, continuing, I have olive oil, salt, pepper, obviously a lot of different sea salt, pepperoncino, Sicilian dried oregano, mm -hmm. okay, and a bunch of other seeds and you know herbs. I keep herbs in my little garden outside, and I, I mean, I have just a little bit of everything. I mean, I pick things up and I just keep it over here, but. The most important things are pretty much salt, pepper, pepperoncino, olive oil. You know, to always have 
you know, on hand, a little bit of white wine, maybe to cook with a little bit of red wine, maybe to cook with that's really it. I mean, that's what I always have, you know? Good. I feel like I passed that class. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, like I said, I mean, like I might want to make something, you know, with cumin seeds, you know, so, you know, I'll get cumin seeds and then, you know, I'll have cumin seeds over there as well. And, you know, like I'll think about, you know, using cumin on things, you know, I mean, like I kind of like to introduce things, you know, like one at a time and then just, you know, start playing with everything and, you know, just completely flow with it. You yeah. Know, just have fun with it. Yeah. I always tell people to like taste, go taste stuff. Like if you go yeah, buy an herb taste. garden, pick the stuff. And as long as you know, it's not poison <laughs> ivy, taste it. Oh, it's so important to put everything to your nose. I mean, everything. I mean, you have to connect. You got to connect with it through your nose first. Everything. Everything mm-hmm. for me starts with my nose and then I taste. I taste everything raw. I taste everything in the raw state before I even cook it. Everything. I don't ever cook something that I haven't already tried it, you know, raw as well. And that, that even includes, you know, meat and fish sometimes. You know, like I'm like, I want to taste a piece of this, you know, steak raw before I cook it. Hmm. You know? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense because then you have complete control over what it is that you're putting in your food. And you know I know what the rare is going to be like. Yeah, I know what the rare is going to be like. So there it is. That's the episode. Uh, I hope you guys found it as inspiring as I did. I know for a fucking fact, I am going to the market either today or tomorrow, and I am getting to work. I am getting to work. You know who benefits from this is Gina. You know, it's my goal to make her like 300 pounds. (laughs) No, she just gets to sit back and enjoy all these really great obsessed over meals. No, it's not true. Gina's actually a really great cook on her own when she, when she gets in there, right? I, I dare say in 2020, get in the kitchen, lady. Uh, but no, it's, it's completely reversed in our house. I put on the apron. I get in there like an old Italian lady and, uh, you know, cramp my hands up rolling out dough. <laughs> but I hope you guys have found... Um, some inspiration to get in the kitchen and you know we're all trapped right we're still trapped in covid i mean i I know there's a lot of places out there that are now quote unquote open right good luck um but we still have time our lives have been changed and through this process through this quarantine through this prison sentence that we've all had it's like going back it's like it's like that scene from goodfellas right where they're all in jail the comfortable prison cell and they're in there just slowly slicing up garlic because they got nothing else to fucking do, right? There's a lot of us that are in that position. And takeout sucks right now. I'm telling you, takeout fucking sucks right now. And we've been trying because Gina and I, prior, uh, prior to COVID, we're very much into dining out. We love dining out experiences. I miss it, right? I love going out and having a really great meal cooked for me. I love the atmosphere. I love the vibe. That's the one thing that I really fucking miss is a good vibe. Going and sitting at like a dirty, dark bar and having a drink with a stranger. Can't wait to do that shit again. Um, But 
we've been trying to recreate that in the beginning we were really trying to recreate that by like who's who's delivering and who's who's still making food and where can we get food from um and the problem with delivery no matter how good it is is it's still gonna get to your house so the shit just ends up being all steamed right because it's in the packaging it shows up you get like fucking pho you get vietnamese food and the noodles are all stuck together and you're just like fuck this isn't this isn't it right and so for me i was like fuck this i'm gonna figure out how to make this i'm gonna figure out how to make this food i will tell you this my food game is on point because of covid it's on point whether it's barbecue whether it's vietnamese it's the shit so i hope you guys are inspired to get into it man it's not rocket science it just takes practice and inspiration go follow frank on instagram he'll do a much better job getting you going than i ever will in the meantime thank you guys for listening and i will see you next tuesday <laughs>